Would you turn with me this evening to Luke chapter 19? And I might have thrown some of you off who are anticipating we're going to go to Mark, as we have for, for quite a while. We're actually going to look at a story that is found in Mark and in all of the Gospels, um, but they all kind of give us a little bit different details. And I like the way uh, Luke, some of the details Luke gives us. He doesn't give us all of them, so we'll bring all their Gospel accounts into it. But I'd like to read Luke's account, even though we're following Jesus' life through the Gospel of Mark, as we turn to the story of Palm Sunday. So Luke 19, verses 28 through 44, just a reminder that Jesus has, has been in Galilee, and he comes down from Galilee, some 90, 100 miles away from Jerusalem, from the north down to the south. As he comes, he's coming with a pilgrim crowd. He's coming with, with uh, people who are gathering for the Passover in Jerusalem, as they did three times a year, three of the pilgrim feasts. And so he's coming with a crowd, and along the way they're experiencing some things about Jesus, perhaps some of his teaching and, and uh, some other things as well. And as they get to Jericho, before they turn to go up the Jericho road to Jerusalem, Jesus encounters Zacchaeus and has that encounter, and he, he heals a blind man. And then, as he gets to Bethany, he raises Lazarus from the dead. So there's a lot of stuff that's just happened, stuff that would you would imagine excite this crowd. And so that could be part of the excitement that's going on on Palm Sunday. Now, he's, where Luke picks it up, he picks it up uh, just after Jesus has told a parable about being prepared, uh, he has to go away, being prepared by, with the gifts God has given to us to, to uh, work for his kingdom until he returns. And then we pick it up at verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, the people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. We'll conclude our reading at that point. Would you join me in prayer? Holy Spirit, as we 
uh, look once again at this familiar story. Help it come to life for us. Help us to understand what you're teaching us through it. Even as we remember what Jesus did for us, help us to remember who he is for us as well. We pray it in his name. Amen. So we come to the, we have come to call the events that we read just in Luke 19, and we read in the parallel accounts. We have come to call this Palm Sunday. And the major event of the day we have come to call the triumphal entry. But I think we've got the names wrong. Both of them. Think about it. Why Palm Sunday when palms were an inappropriate image for the day? And what is triumphant about an entry into Jerusalem that leaves Jesus weeping? Well, that's what I want to explore with you for a little bit this evening. By asking, what's the appropriate image for the day? What should the day be called? So I want to look at four images that come out of the day and and try to decide what image is the most appropriate. So the first image is the donkey. Jesus is is coming coming to Jerusalem from the east, a fact that would not have been lost on Jewish readers since Messiah was supposed to come to Jerusalem from the east, according to Ezekiel 43. He's made his way from Galilee with the pilgrims going to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover to Jericho where he gave sight to a blind man and to Bethany where he raises Lazarus. So a curious and excited crowd is following Jesus on their way to Jerusalem for the Passover. With crowd in tow, Jesus heads a very short distance to Bethphage, which he enters riding on a donkey. At this, the crowd goes nuts and begins to treat him like Messiah. Why? Because he just said he's the Messiah. Bethphage was on the outer city limits of Jerusalem, especially at festival time. A little aside here, at uh, the the Torah tells the the Jews, you know, you got to be careful what you do on the Sabbath. Then some of the sages have co- had come up with specifics on what to do, what you could do on the Sabbath, and and uh, what constituted work. And one of those was walking more than a mile to a city. Well, the trouble was that Jerusalem was rather large, but but when the festival people came, they had to camp all outside the city. Uh, quite a ways away, and, um, and on the Sabbath, which every festival day was considered to be a Sabbath day, and so you treated it like the Sabbath, uh, all of them would have been violating those rules. And so, particularly for festival days, the, uh, the sages said, we're going to extend the city limits of Jerusalem. And so on festival days, the city limit sign would have been at Bethphage, coming from the east so that they didn't have to violate the Torah uh, in their walking. So it was the outer city limits of Jerusalem, especially at festival time. And so Jesus was actually entering Jerusalem at Bethphage, consciously and intentionally fulfilling prophecy. Think about it. To ride a donkey 
The last mile of a 100-mile journey, after you've walked the first 99 miles with a holy pedestrian crowd, a, a group that's all on there, all walking, to, to hop on a donkey for the last mile could only be a, a deliberate gesture. As Jesus rides in on a donkey, what is he saying? Well, it probably would remind some of them of Solomon entering Jerusalem as king when he was crowned king on a donkey. A lot of the, the religious rulers, or the, the, the kings of the day, would ride in white steeds or whatever, but he chose a donkey, he chose the path of humility, and now Jesus does the same thing. But I think it would also remind them of two messianic prophecies. The first is in Genesis 49. All the way back in Genesis, Jacob is, is sharing his will with his 12 sons. And when he comes to Judah, he says in Genesis 49, 10 and 11, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nation shall be his. So he's prophesying a king to come from Judah. And what will happen when that king comes? The next verse, he will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine and his robes in the blood of grapes, signifying uh, some kind of violent death even. And then uh, later at the end of the Old Testament, one of the prophets picks this up, this idea of how Messiah will come, and we read it earlier as our call to worship. Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So these prophecies tell us that Messiah, Zion's king, is going to enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And so at Jerusalem's entry point, Jesus mounts a donkey, clearly claiming to be the Messiah. Well, the crowd erupts at the top of the Mount of Olives, within hearing distance of Jerusalem, because you get to the top of the Mount of Olives and you look right across at the city of Jerusalem on the next mountain over, and that's a rather uh, narrow valley between the two. And there in, in the hearing distance in Jerusalem is an extra-large contingent of Roman soldiers, complete with riot gear, because festival crowds, especially the zealots in them, were known to get out of hand. So back on the top of the Mount of Olives, one voice and another begins to shout parts of Psalm 118. Hosanna! Save us! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And out come the branches. Palm branches, according to John. And some Pharisees in the crowd rush to Jesus trying to get him to quiet his disciples. What's going on? Well, we see from their actions, first of all, they place cloaks on the donkey and Jesus sat on it. They place cloaks on the road before him. All of this indicates a royal procession. In those days, throwing garments before the path of a king to walk on was, to, uh, was symbolic of submission to that king. And so they're enacting a royal procession. And then also come out the branches, according to some of the gospel writers. Now, despite giving the name Palm Sunday to this event, 
It's interesting that only one gospel, the gospel of John, mentions that they were palm branches. Luke, in fact, doesn't even mention branches at all, perhaps because as a Gentile, uh, or at least writing to Gentiles, it wasn't uh, a major significance to him or to his audience. Now, if John is right about the palm branches, then there are likely zealot types in the crowd who would have brought the palm branches from Jericho. You see, palm trees are not native to Jerusalem, nor would you expect them to be. How many mountains have you been on and seen palm trees? And so Jericho was actually known as the city of the palms. And so they would have had to bring palm trees. Now, if you do see a palm tree uh, in Jerusalem, like this one that I took a picture of, you know it had to be transplanted there because they just don't grow indigenously there. So they had to be brought intentionally. Now, this was not unusual to bring palm branches to Jerusalem. In fact, that was actually part of one of the feasts, the, the Feast of Tabernacles, Palms were a central part of that as a way that they praised God. But along the way, through a rather convoluted story that I don't have time to tell you through history, palms had turned into a Jewish political symbol that might show up at any number of gatherings or any number of feasts. And it was a Jewish political symbol saying, we want freedom. It was kind of like, oh, maybe a rebel from the south during the Civil War coming up north and, and flying the, the Confederate flag. It was kind of an in-your-face rebellious symbol. And so they're saying with the palm branches, we want freedom. They're also saying that with their words. They're using parts of Psalm 118, which was also a Feast of Tabernacles psalm. Hosanna, save us! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Again, Luke, a Gentile writing for Gentiles, doesn't include the Hebrew word Hosanna like the other gospel writers do. Wouldn't have made a great impression on his Gentile audience. But Hosanna, as the other gospel writers knew, had also become a political chant. Or initially, it was part of, of uh, Psalm 118, and it became part of the... Uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, where they were praying that God would give them rain for the next growing season, and so save us. Part of what save us meant was save us by sending us rain so that we can grow crops and we don't die of starvation. That was part of what it meant. But again, over the years, it became politicized so that Hosanna actually had become a political chant, meaning for some people, save us from Rome. Save us from Rome. And in, interestingly, we know from history that the use of both palm branches and shouting Hosanna together was a crucifiable offense. It's all the Romans had to see and hear to throw someone on a cross and, and be, label them as a rebel. So you can see why the Pharisees were concerned about the Roman soldiers across the valley. But the key point here is that the crowd is receiving Jesus as a political Messiah. A political Messiah. A king who would overthrow Rome. Which is why I don't think a palm is actually a, a fitting symbol for the day, even though they were used. 
But because they were receiving Jesus as a political Messiah, this brought about the third symbol, which is the tears. The tears. If this was a triumphal march, Jesus sure had a funny way of expressing it. He wept. And in the Greek, the word means uh, that he sobbed loudly and uncontrollably. Now he's weeping for the city of Jerusalem, which as he prophesies here, will be devastated by the Romans. Indeed, not one stone will be left on another as they destroyed the temple. The proof of that prophecy is seen in this picture. And you can go to Jerusalem and, and see it. Down below on the main street, below the, the temple mount, you find all these stones that were, that were torn from the temple and thrown down on the streets below and, and simply left there. Uh, 2,000 years later. So Jesus knows this is coming. So he weeps over Jerusalem, but he's also weeping for the people of Israel. Mostly this crowd of chanters. And he says, if you had only recognized what would truly bring you peace, but because you're looking for it through a military solution, you're going to get more than you expect, and it's going to be brutal. It's going to be brutal. Now, there's an interesting aside we can make here if, uh, with, with the parallel scenes of Jesus weeping. Two times in the Bible it says that Jesus wept. I know that was everyone's favorite uh, memory verse, right? Because it was the easiest one to remember. Well, the two recorded incidents of Jesus weeping actually happened within a mile of each other and within a few days. The first the funeral of Lazarus, he sobbed quiet tears of compassion because he shared their hurts. Now, he sobs loudly and uncontrollably because the people missed him. And that's an interesting question. In which way does Jesus weep for you? Does he weep tears of compassion? Or tears of regret because you've missed him. Well, the last image for this story is actually not seen here in Luke. In fact, it's not seen in, in any of the four Gospels in the Palm Sunday story. So why would it be an appropriate image for the Jews? Because it was actually the alternate name for the day, the proper name for the day. And it gets at the questions, how did they miss Jesus? And the reality of who he was and what he was doing. And that symbol is the lamb. It's the lamb because this happened to be lamb selection day. It was Nisan 10 on the calendar, which I know immediately says, Oh, yeah, now I know what he's talking about. Uh, Nisan 10, four days before the Passover, was the day you selected your lamb for your family. Four days before the Passover. Now, there were particular requirements for the Passover lamb. It had to be perfect, unblemished, and from the flocks of Bethlehem, the rabbi said. So most of them had to buy their lambs at the temple at a rather high price because their lambs wouldn't have fit uh, that per those particular requirements. Incidentally, this picture that I have up here are actually... Passover lambs, I don't know if you can see that they're marked with blue, like spray-painted with blue. They've been designated as Passover lambs. And uh, this is a group, the only group that we know of, that actually continues to celebrate Passover the same way Jesus did. 
the same way the Old Testament people did. Uh, the Jews don't because they don't have a sacrif sacrificial system anymore because the temple has been destroyed. But a certain group of people still celebrates it, and they're called the Samaritans. And so in Israel, you can still find this rite happening where there's this uh, selection of lambs. The kids, as you can see, get to know the lambs from, from their family. And, and that was kind of the point, I think, partially at least. Your family would keep the lamb with you for four days, They'd get to know it, name it, befriend it, identify with it, to the point where each member of the family could say, that's my lamb. And then on Passover, your lamb was slaughtered for the atonement of your sins. Well, this particular year, Lamb Selection Day fell on Sunday, the one we call Palm Sunday. As Jesus enters Jerusalem, on the day people were looking for the perfect lamb as a sacrifice for their sins, Jesus is a perfect, unblemished lamb from the flocks of Bethlehem, no less. He is the one of whom John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one who would be the only perfect and acceptable sacrifice for the sins of the world and would die the moment the afternoon sacrifice was slaughtered in the temple on that Friday we call good. So as Jesus enters Jerusalem, as people are scrambling to find the sacrificial lamb for their family, he's saying, choose me, pick me as the lamb for the atonement of your sins. You see, the palm, even though it appeared, is the wrong image for the day. It should be the lamb. The palm, in a sense, represents our attempt to fight our own battles, like the zealots, to make our own way in life, to atone for ourselves, to make our own case before God. The lamb, on the other hand, forces us to humble ourselves, say we cannot do it on our own, and accept charity, which is the only way to get to God. And so one critical question this day presents us with is, have you accepted Jesus for who he claimed to be, or like the crowds, want to make him into someone else who suits you better, who better fits your needs? And another is, it's Lamb Selection Day. Have you picked the right lamb? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being the sacrificial lamb for our sins. We pray that we might accept you and be acceptable to you as we put aside our own zealous activity for you and thinking that in some way we can earn our place, and as we humble ourselves before you. Lamb of God, we pray that uh, we may have open eyes to see you and your suffering in this week and uh, to accept you as you have accepted us as the perfect lamb for the atonement of our sins. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So let us sing oh, one of those hymns from Palm Sunday, thinking about the meaning of what's really going on as we sing all glory, laud, and honor 
to the Lamb who was slain. Let's stand and sing the five stanzas, all glory, laud, and honor. <laughs>